single and ready to mingle. Anybody? Anybody? A couple of you? Really? Last week, David asked... No, I know you're not. Okay, you're taken. Uh, Last week, uh, David asked a really good question, if you were here. He's like, how many of you are engaged? And no one raised their hand. So I know for a fact that there are people in here single, ready to mingle. I'm excited for this series. Um, It's one of those that... uh, it, it, it kind of brings to, to bear and to, the, to the, uh, the front of our conversation kind of the elephant in the room, right? Because like, this is something that I know is on your mind. Uh, we, we have conversations uh, with folks in our, in our ministry, uh, and this is a topic that comes up very regularly. So if you think you're the only one, you're not the only one, this is on our minds. We've got to talk about it because at the gathering, what we want to do is we want to equip you with a biblical worldview through all things in life, through all stages of life. And so we have to look at dating. We have to look at singleness. We have to look at marriage. We have to look at sex from a a perspective of what does the Bible say? What does this actually look like? And so some of you tonight, some of you probably actually walked into this building for the first time. We're not going to have you raise hands. But some of you, and some of you actually told us this, that you came to the gathering for the first time because you wanted to meet somebody. Right? Right? The man was a little too close to home. I'm sorry. <laughs> but that's true. And you know what? I want to kick off tonight by, by maybe letting you know that I know what that feels like. Let me give you a quick story. So many of you guys know, I've told before, I worked at a summer camp for nine summers through college and after college. And when I was 18 years old, freshman in college, we were not allowed to have vehicles on campus as a freshman because there was no parking for freshmen. And so you didn't have a car. And so most Friday and Saturday nights, you had nothing to do except to get on the metro in Chicago and head downtown and spend crazy amounts of money, which I did not have. So I spent many a Friday and Saturday night just in my dorm, hanging out, playing video games, watching VHS tapes. If you don't know what that is, find me later, I'll explain. But this one particular Friday night, my RA came down, he said, hey Andy, what you doing? I'm like, I'm doing nothing. And, he, and his name was Andy, I was like, Andy, what are you doing? He's like, actually, I'm going to this, this deal that they show this camp film, they're recruiting summer counselors. He's like, why don't you come with me? I'm like, all right, I got nothing to do, let's go. And that night, that yes changed the trajectory of my life. No hyperbole, changed the direction of my life. We sat in a room with about, I don't know, 100 or so families and kids and like seven or eight college students. And they showed this this video to say, hey, you need to come work here or you need to come send your kid here. And I'm sitting there watching this like, okay, I'm here, there's something to do on Friday night. And all of a sudden, on the screen, Not one, not two, not 20. Like 4,000 beautiful Christian young ladies work at this camp. And I was like, sign me up. I didn't need to pray about it. I didn't need to seek advice about it. I was like, God, this is a divinely appointed moment in my life. If those girls are all Christians, then game on. And so I applied, I got the job, God knew what he was doing, even when my motives weren't exactly to be a great counselor. But here's the crazy thing. I went to camp and I was a really good counselor because I wanted every girl at that camp to realize that I was good husband material. (laughs) 
I'm not lying. This is all true. And so I did a really good job. I was a fun counselor. I, was, I changed more bodily fluid accidents of six to 11 year olds than I ever thought I would with a smile on my face, always watching who's watching me. Take care and have fun with these kids. Look, I love Jesus. I love kids. One of you has to be my wife. And at the end of the summer, it worked. I walked away from that camp with a girlfriend and she was gorgeous. I was like, God, thank you. Until about Thanksgiving, and then she surgically ripped my heart out <laughs> and said, Andy, it's time for me to date Jesus for a while. <sighs> Hold on. It still, gets, it still gets me. Like literally, that's how she broke up with me. She took our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and threw him straight under the bus. <laughs> because she could not handle just saying, hey, Andy, this long distance thing's not working. I don't find you attractive anymore. You're annoying. I don't know what it was, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't Jesus. And just to let you know that I'm with you in this, I can be as petty as everyone to this day. I still root against the team that she loved. Because I want her to feel a little bit every time, a little bit of the pain that she inflicted on my life. True story, still do it. So here's why I tell that story, because, because singleness, dating, marriage, all, everything wrapped up into one. It is the elephant in the room for most of us. It's something that we look at and we're like, man, I. I want that. I don't have that. And so sometimes we make choices to do things or not do things according to our, our situation, which for me, I thought worked out really well after two months, but did not work out well for me. And so I wish I could go back to 18-year-old Andy and have him come to the gathering. Not because I'm all wise and, and know all the answers. I know some. I've got some experience, but what I do have is God's word. And I wanna look at God's word over the next probably five to six weeks. Through the, and we're gonna look at this issue of dating, sex, singleness. We're gonna cover all of it. And here's what I'm hoping to do with this series. I want to, number one, I wanna help you build a biblical, a biblical view of singleness. You have to have that. Because too many of us, can I just, I, I want to be very honest in this series, okay? Too many of us have subscribed to the false gospel of marriage. Marriage is your gospel. It's the one thing that will save you and transform you and fix you and meet all of your needs. And unfortunately, the church has done a terrible job of peddling the false gospel of marriage. Because our programs and our sermon series, they're all geared towards who? Couples who are married with children and their lives are perfect. I'm just kidding, you can laugh at that, they're not. I was telling Mary Ashton this week while we were like talking through this series, I was getting text messages from my wife about her experience at Walmart with our two and a half year old. I was like, Mary Ashton, may I just read all these texts to the gathering? And, and we'll just slowly but surely destroy the false gospel of marriage and parenting. 
okay? But that's what we do. And so I want to give you a biblical view of singleness, dating, and marriage. Number two, I want to help prepare you to walk through each season with joy and hope as you trust the Lord. And then thirdly, I want to encourage you to live this season right now with purpose and fullness, not anxiety and fear. That's my hope. That's the goal of this series, those three things. To give you a biblical worldview of dating, to help you walk with joy and, and hope, and then encourage you to live today, this season of singleness, with purpose and fullness, not fear and anxiety. You know, single, the, the, the term single, um, it brings out a lot of uh, thoughts and feelings, doesn't it? Like just the term. Oh, are you single? Yes. Thank you. Right? You guys know this. And the church does a job on singleness, and our culture does a job on singleness. What the church has done, and I don't, I don't mean just crossing, I'm talking like the church in America, in the Western world, has kind of made marriage like the special step of spirituality, right? You get promoted as a Christian when you're married. You're taken more seriously. I remember when I was 24, I had a guy tell me, Andy, until you're married, you will probably not get to be a pastor at any, of any level. I'm like, what are you talking about? But we tend to do that. Whether it's practical reasons or just unfortunate or just looked over the church typically schedules things around families. And so what we've done unintentionally is we've sent a message to our single people. And it's a negative one. You're less than. If you would only. Right? But our world does the same thing. Our culture does the same thing. But they go the opposite way. Right? The, 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 the church is pushing marriage, and we should, guys. I'm not, this is not a bashing of marriage. Marriage is awesome. It is a gift from God that he uses to grow people and, and sanctify people and populate the earth and make disciples. But the world goes the other way and says, ah, marriage isn't that important. You don't really need to get married. You can have all the benefits of marriage without the commitment, without the selflessness, without the hassle. And so here's what you do. Date around, get your needs met, and when you're not happy anymore, move on to the next person. That's our world's general view of the single life. Get your needs met. And the, the crazy thing about that is that worldview, that theology of dating from our world says use people for your pleasure and then move on. And that person that you're dating, that person that you're interested in, only becomes a commodity to you. That's what it is. And so we're looking at these two things. The, the world, and, and unfortunately, we're seeing that, that worldly theology of singleness bleed into the church. And even Christians now, they start dating and they start living together. They start taking vacations together before they're married because they're playing house. And they want the benefits of marriage without the commitment, without the honoring and the serving and the cherishing we just want to get what we want and move on. We want the Instagram feed. We want the pictures. And unfortunately, whether they're Christians or non-Christians, we, we meet people all day long that perpetuate and peddle a negative view of singleness. Right? You know these people. 
right? I, I, I've kind of titled them. We, you got the, the person that you meet that just gives you pity as a single person, right? They ask you the question, are you married? And you're like, no, I'm single. And they're like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, wait, what? Why are you, why are you apologizing, for, apologizing for my stage of life? Like, what, what's happening here, right? They're like, oh, I'm so sorry. You, you must be really miserable. <laughs> like, that's, that's, what you, that's what I hear, right? And then you got the people who are polite and, and, the, and they offer unwanted sympathy, right? They say, oh, but you're so lucky to be single. You're so fun and free and you have money. You can do whatever you want. I, I would trade anything for a day in your life. And then you're like, yeah, only a day. Right? They never just say, hey, take my kids and my car and my job and whatever. They're like, just, just one day. I just want one day. And it leaves you thinking, like, is, is that what my life is to you? And then you have the people that put the pressure, right? It's like your, your Aunt Deb over the holidays. Like, you know this is coming, right? Some of you are like, I do not want, I, November, no. Just stay away. Christmas, no thank you, I'll go skiing. Because you know it's coming. How come someone like you hasn't been snatched up yet? And how do we hear that, right? I say we because I was single at one point. I remember hearing that and saying, so really what you're asking me is what's wrong with me? That's what you're asking me. What is so weird about me that no one has snatched me up yet? That's what I heard. And then thank goodness my brother got married and took the pressure off for a little while. And then lastly, we get the people that just give terrible advice. Unsolicited, terrible advice. Right? Have you ever heard, when you're fully content in your singleness and reliant fully on God, the man or woman of your dreams will show up. Or something to that effect. Like once you are, give me a break. I know a lot of people, I know myself, who are not fully reliant on the Lord but God has gifted with marriage. And so people, they, they do this with the best of intentions. I don't want to bash anybody, although we just did. Um, I don't want to, because they are doing it unintentionally. And, they, and here's the deal. They don't know how to handle the moment, right? But if we're honest, neither do we. We don't know how to handle that moment of awkwardness where culture and church and our faith and our insecurities and our fears all come crashing down into one moment at Thanksgiving or at the new job, and we have to explain. You see, we have a tendency to greatly undervalue biblical singleness in the church and in our culture. And so tonight, what I wanna do is I wanna, I wanna maybe the best way to say it is I wanna challenge you to question your assumptions about singleness. I want you to doubt your doubts about what you believe about singleness. And to do that, I'm just gonna offer three questions that I hope that you write them down, and I hope that you look at them, you think about them, you pray through them. I'm gonna bring up three questions tonight. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter seven, that's where we're gonna be. And so, as you get there, let me explain what's happening in 1 Corinthians. So, the, this is a church in Corinth, and they're about two years old. Paul had been there, he launched this church, and he moved away, he's in Ephesus. And they're about two years old. They're a new church. They're young in their faith. And they have got some problems. They've got some drama. They got some false teaching. And so they write Paul a letter. And it gets to him. A letter is where you pull out paper and you write. And then you lick, you, you do it, you put it on, lick it, put a stamp on it, and send it in the mail for whatever, 50 cents. 
And so they send a letter, and this is Paul's letter back to them to answer all of their questions. And so what he's doing is he's basically addressing their questions about the divisions in the church, the drama in the church, sexual immorality that's bleeding from the culture into the church. He discusses idolatry and theological confusion in 1 Corinthians. Like he just goes boom, 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 boom. You wrote about this, here's my answer. And so what he's doing, he's explaining to them what it looks like to live as a Christ follower. There's confusion. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter seven, look at verses seven and eight. Now before we read it outright, we're having a big discussion about sexual immorality and marriage up to this point. Because what had happened was the culture was so sexualized, sound familiar? That the church didn't know what to do. And so what was happening was they were saying, well, if the culture's going over this way and they're taking what God has given and perverting it and, and worshiping it and doing all these things, then as the church, as we're gonna go the other way and we're gonna say no sex even if you're married. And so right before this, Paul is addressing this issue. He's saying, no, 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 no. Sex is a gift from God, so if you're married, have sex. And he starts talking about, hey, your body's not your own, like all the, you know, those kind of scriptures. And so then we get to this point, and in verse 7 he says this, I wish that all were as my, myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one, one, one of one kind and one of another. To be unmarried and the widows, I say that it, it is good for them to remain single as I am. So here's the first question. Is singleness a gift or a curse? Is singleness a gift? Because you guys have heard it. Oh, it's a gift of singleness. You have the gift of singleness. And you're like, shut up. Right? It's like a collective eye roll, like, ugh. But right here, Paul is saying, I wish that all were as myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another, singleness and marriage. To the unmarried and to the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. That word gift, where he says each has his own gift, that that word is used multiple times in the New Testament. And so, of course, I was like, well, how else is it used? I want to share three verses with you. Some will be familiar, maybe. I hope they are. The first one, this is the same word gift. In Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In 1 Peter, it says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. 2 Timothy 1.6 says, for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. And so this term gift is not a mistake by Paul. It is not a flippant like, oh, be happy about your situation. This is fantastic. Like he might be, he's fired up about his singleness. A lot of theologians believe that Paul had previously been married, but when he left the Jewish faith, his wife left him. Paul knows. And he says, my singleness is for the Lord. And as you look at this word gift, two things are a part of it. One is it is from God. It is divine. It is not a mistake. And number two, it's active to be used. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another 
as good stewards of God's varied grace. Have you ever thought about the idea of stewarding your singleness? We've talked about stewarding money. Be a good steward of your money. What God's given you, use it and be good stewards of it. Have you ever thought or spent a moment thinking, how are you stewarding your singleness as a gift that's been given to you by God? Because our culture, like we already talked about, our culture says singleness is a curse, both in the church and out. We kind of treat it like a curse, but Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 says, no, it is a gift, and so is marriage, for that matter. Here's the crazy thing. You get to decide whether you treat it and steward it as a gift or a curse. It's up to you. God's word from Paul in 1 Corinthians 7, 7, and 7, 8 says, it is a gift from God, both marriage and those who are unmarried. Now it's up to you, the hearer of God's word to define. Going forward, how am I gonna treat this? You get to choose. And when you choose it, I would, I would ask you to do this. Ask yourself what's feeding the belief that it's a curse and that it's something to get rid of quickly. It's humanly possible. What's feeding that? My guess is it's not God's word that is feeding that discontent. My guess is it's probably your social calendar is not quite as active as you'd like it to be. Your DMs are not filled up on the regular as you'd like them to be. The Instagram feed just brings up insecurity after insecurity and and, and shame over and over and over. It's most likely those things that are feeding this belief that singleness is a curse, that you're without. I'm gonna argue this, you can be completely single. You're not missing anything. In Christ, you are complete. You are not less than, you're not half a person, you're not incomplete. Like, when in the world, where, where in scripture do we, are we ever told, hey, let's identify ourselves by what we don't have? No, that's not scripture. And Paul is saying, this is a gift from God. So ask yourself, what's feeding it? Is it your loneliness? Is that feeding the discontent? Paul chose to look at the season that he was in as an opportunity to serve and be fully devoted to Christ, undistracted by the things of this world, relationships. So much so that in his letter, he wrote, this is not a command, but I would commend you to remain single so that you can be fully focused on what God has called you to do? Are you stewarding your singleness for the things that God would have you do in this season that you can only do in this season? Because there will be a day where this season, the freedom, the, the resources and the finances, whatever, the energy, good Lord, the energy, I wish I had it, will go away. Your metabolism will slow down. This is a season that will end at some point for most of you. So the answer to the question, is it a blessing or is it a gift or a curse? According to God's word, both singleness and marriage are a divine and good gift from God. Used, meant to be stewarded for his glory and your good. The second question I've got tonight is, can and will you trust God with your singleness? Can you 
or will you trust God with your singleness? This one's the hardest because this one never stops. Trusting the Lord is a daily endeavor. Like you don't just say, yes, Andy, I can trust God with my singleness. Yes, Andy, I will trust God. And then you're gonna wake up tomorrow and you're gonna go through Instagram and be like, oh gosh, I gotta get going. I gotta put myself out there a little bit more, right? But this issue of trusting God is not just a single issue, singleness issue. It's an everything in life issue. It's your job, it's your money, it's your body, it's your entertainment. What do you take in? Do you trust, your, do you trust God? It's hard to trust because of one thing. We want to be in control. It's hard to trust because we want to be in control. And since we are not in control, fear then controls us. We want control so bad. We want to make it happen with the right person at the right time. And then we realize that I, I'm not in control of that. And so then fear covers us. That, oh no, it's never going to happen for me. Um, that was my last chance. And so all of a sudden my fear now is my motivation. I don't know if anyone's made wise choices that way. I know I haven't. When I look back in my life, fear and desperation never equals a wise choice. And so this is a hard question. I think our churchy minds probably say, yeah, I can trust God, and yes, I will trust God. But can you give over control to him? You see, this is, this is the original lie that Satan gives us. Go back to Genesis chapter three. It all goes back to the garden. We talked, we, 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 I taught this this past summer. God gives this wonderful promise to Adam. Hey, Adam, I will give you every tree in the garden. You can eat from any tree in the garden except this one. Any tree. They're yours. Any one. All 10,000 of them except one. And what does Satan do? He comes in and he says, and he puts this little seed of doubt in Adam. He, he said, you couldn't have that one? Really? What is he trying to do? He's trying to convince Adam that God's not actually good and that he's actually withholding from you. You see what he did? God did something wonderful and abundant and gracious and generous. You can eat from any tree in the garden except one. And Satan said, no, you should be able to have all of them. So therefore, God is withholding from you. So you really can't trust him. Trust yourself. It all goes back to Genesis 3. Is God really good? And Satan loves to play this game with our hearts and our minds. Is he really good? And this is where Satan loves to bring up our past. The mistakes we've made. The things we've done, said, believed. And says, well, God's punishing you. No, he's not. God is good. You see, when we imagine all of our worst case scenarios, when you're laying in bed at night and all the, all the things come, like I'm gonna be alone forever, it's never gonna happen for me, I'm past my prime, like all those thoughts, right? You laugh because you know I'm right. Like all those thoughts that come up, it's never gonna happen, I mean, I need to move to Dallas, there's a lot more people there, right? 
You notice no one, no one ever moves to Wichita? It's because there's, there's more single, ready to mingle people in Dallas. But all these things roll through our head because we've bought into the doubt that God's not good and that he's withholding from us. And then maybe there's a reason. And so when we imagine all those worst case scenarios, we're imagining them without the presence and grace of God. That's why it's a worst case scenario. Let me say that again. It's a worst case scenario because we're thinking about a situation that may or may not happen without remembering that God will be with us in that moment. And then when you realize that God will be with you and he knows you and he sees you in that moment, it's no longer worst case scenario. It's like my kids, if they go do something and dad's not there, yeah, worst case scenario could happen. But if I'm with them, ain't no one touching my kids. We forget. And Satan loves to play that game. Oh, what if this happens? What if the, oh my gosh, can you believe, maybe God's not that good. Maybe he's withholding from you. And that's where my friend Sam Alberry, he's not my friend, he's an author and pastor. I wish he was my friend. He's a single uh, pastor, and he wrote this. He wrote a book, and he said, when I'm anxious, it is because I'm worried God doesn't know what I actually need and might not pull through for me. Man, that's good. When I'm anxious, it's because I'm worried God's not trustworthy. We go back to, I want to take us back to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. One of the most memorized scriptures of all youth ministry in the entire world. Right? You cannot graduate college or high school from a church without memorizing this. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Sounds great. Good coffee mug, bumper sticker verse. But I want to, I want to, we're going to put, a, put some stuff on the screen. I want, I'll, and, and we're going to compare and contrast our understanding with our reality. All right, our understanding, number one, is that no one knows what's best for me except me. That's a lie that we buy into. That's my understanding. The second one is, I'm all alone and will always be alone. That's my understanding. I remember feeling that when I moved to Oklahoma City. I don't know a soul. I'm from the north. I didn't go to college here. I didn't go to high school here. And I remember thinking, I'm going to be alone forever. Because back when I moved here, there was no young adult ministry in town. The third one of our understanding, especially when they're bred out of fear and control, is I'm looking out for myself because no one else will. And lastly, I have to work to make this good for me. I'm going to have to do it. Look at those. It says... No one knows what's best for me except me. I'm all alone and will always be alone. I'm looking out for myself. I have to work to make this good. The focus is me. I'm leaning on my understanding of a situation I know very little about. But here's what scripture says. Our reality is that God knows you better than you know yourself. Psalm 139, one through six. He says, I search, I, I search me and you know me. Right, Psalm 139 is that famous, you knit me together in my mother's womb. Like God is intimately 
knowledgeable about you. He knows it all. So you are not alone. He knows what's best for you because he knows you better than you know yourself. Secondly, God is always with you, even in the valley. Psalm 23, verse four. Although I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And for most of us, singleness seems like the valley of the shadow of death. It's just dark, there's no hope. But what does it say God's position is? in the valley, he's with us and he comforts us. So you're not alone. Thirdly, God cares for you and looks out for you. First Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. You're not a number, you're not a patient for him. You're not a social security number. He knows you, he made you, he's walking with you, and he cares for you. And lastly, God is working for your good, Romans 8, 28. Too often in singleness, we lean on our own understanding that I've gotta make this work. I've gotta do it, I gotta put myself out there, I gotta, I gotta work it, I gotta work for my advantage, I've, I've, I gotta do something. That's our understanding, me, 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 I, I, I. How exhausting is that? <laughs> I won't ask you to raise your hands, but how many of you are exhausted in the single life trying to make something happen? It's exhausting when you're the solution. What's freeing and liberating is when God says, Sweetheart, I made you. Son, I got you. I care about you. I know you better than you know yourself. I know you think this, I know you think that, but walk with me and learn from me and you will find rest for your soul. Because the bottom line is this. Trusting God doesn't start when you walk down the aisle. It starts now. Trusting God does not automatically happen when you walk down an aisle. I talk with too many people who are single who think everything, some, some magical spiritual switch is going to happen when we walk down the aisle. Guys, I, I can't remember how many times I've had a conversation, well, when I get married, I won't look at porn anymore. Yes, you will. When, you walk down, when I walk down the aisle, I'll never be lonely again. Yes, you will. You can be lonely and married. It's worse than being lonely and single. Because at least there's an expectation of not being lonely. And so trusting God doesn't start when you walk down the aisle. It starts now. It starts today. It starts tomorrow morning. And trusting God doesn't start once he has done what and given you what you want. Trusting God doesn't start once he has done what you want. That would be the opposite of trusting God. That would be using God to get what you actually worship. Trusting God does not start when he's given you what you want. Because then he just becomes a tool, a mechanism to get what you actually worship. And we get it wrong. We get it flipped around. Do, do your, if you're one of those people in this room, and most of you will, 
statistics say that most of you in this room will be married. Do your spouse a favor. Give them the wonderful gift of a life that's fully trusting in Christ before you get there. Do the work now to trust God with your finances, your emotions, your singleness, your job, whatever it is. Do the hard work now so that you can give your spouse the wonderful gift of someone who is completely trusting God with whatever happens because you can be lonely when you're married. You can be disappointed. You can be misunderstood when you're married. So the answer to this question is, can you trust God with your singleness, your dating life, and your marriage? Yes, you can. The real question is, will you trust God with your singleness? And that's a daily, moment-to-moment decision. Every morning, you're gonna have to wake up every weekend, every Friday night, every Saturday. God, help me trust you with my singleness. Give me wisdom and patience to do this the way that shows trust. A little bit farther in 1 Corinthians 7, we're almost done. Paul says this in verse 17, right? He's given this long talk about marriage, about sexual relationships in marriage, about singleness, and he says, nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. Can I just take a quick little side road, just real briefly? I love how he phrases this. Each person should live as a believer. That's your identity. Too many of us have just accepted that our identity is single. And then our identity informs our situation, our circumstance. But what we've done in our culture is we've taken our circumstance, singleness, and let it define our identity. Right? This goes all throughout life. Some of us as Christians, we allow ourselves to be identified as a Republican Christian or a Democrat Christian. No, 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 no. You are a believer first. That is your identity. And then that should inform your situation. I love the Enneagram just as much as everybody else. I'm a six, I think. Haven't really taken the test. I've just been told that. My wife knows all things. Mary Ashton knows all things Enneagram, so they've informed me. But you know what? You're not a number. You're not a eight who's a Christian. You're not a two who's a Christian. You are a Christian who happens to be a four. And so your identity in Christ informs your personality. And in singleness, we can't say, hey, I'm single first, so I gotta fix that and then my faith. No, 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 your faith in Christ informs your singleness and how you live that out. And so the last question, sorry, back on the road. How would you live if you knew you were gonna be married in five years? How would your life change today and over the next four and a half years if you knew that in five years that's the day? Or... What if you knew that you were never going to get married? How would you live the rest of your life? Guys, I want, this one needs to sit for a second. 
How would your life change if you knew that in two years you would meet them? How would your life change if you knew in 10 years you'd meet them? What would the next 10 years look like? I bet they would look a lot different than they look right now. Because the life we're living right now is dictated by our fears and our insecurities and all the things. Because we gotta make it happen, we gotta, we gotta go here, we gotta whatever. No, 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 no. What if you knew? What if God wrote you a letter and said, hey, Andy, this is what's gonna happen. This is the timeline for you. You know what all of a sudden happens? Is the burden of singleness just drops. And you are free to live a whole and abundant life for Christ and prepare every single day along the way for that person. Or maybe you're the person that says, God says, hey, hey buddy, I've got plans for you. And it's not to get married. Here's what's gonna happen. We're gonna grieve. Because most of you in this room probably want to get married, guys and girls alike. But some of you, statistically, will probably not get married. But what if you knew, what if God said, hey, you're not gonna get married. First you would grieve a lost dream, right? And then you have a choice to either live the rest of your life bitter and angry or you get to choose to live in the freedom to pursue Christ and what he has for your life with reckless abandon. Because there's not this cloud of insecurity and fear hanging over you. Whether you are told when you're getting married or that you're never getting married, you are set free from all of the pressure to get married. Like you'd be able to come to the gathering every week and talk to the opposite sex with zero awkwardness and zero expectation and zero like, did, did I say that right? Did, should I go over there? Like you just walk over like, hey, what's going on? My name's Andy, good to meet you. Are you new here? Like all of a sudden your life is freed up and the chains drop. Sounds good, doesn't it? It sounds a lot like the abundant life that Christ came to give us. And I'm here to tell you tonight, it is available to you. Here's the trick. God knows. By doubt, he's going to tell you. And so then the question becomes, can you trust that God knows the very day that you're gonna meet that person and live under that security? And then all of a sudden, it's not up to you. You don't have to grind and worry and pray and manipulate so that it happens for you. You trust God, you live your life for the gospel and for his glory and your good and you have fun. Can you imagine how present you would be in every moment? The person you're talking to, would that be it? There'd be no like glancing behind them and be like, who's coming, who's coming in? Oh, okay, I need to talk to him, okay. All right, yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> you know, like, that's gone. And all of a sudden, you're just in the moment with people, serving people with the gift of singleness for God's glory and your good. What a wonderful gift. But it all depends on whether we're gonna allow God to have that place of trust in our life. He knows. He knows. So what if you knew 
how would you live differently? My guess is it would look a whole lot more fun. It would look a lot more liberated. There'd be a lot more smiles and a lot more laughter, a lot more lighthearted conversations with people that you're like, you know what, I'm just glad to meet you. There's no sexual tension here because I know that in five years I'm gonna meet my person. So I can just listen and care for you and serve you and do whatever I need to do as a follower of Christ to bless you. That is a life of abundance because it's a life that's built on trusting Christ, that he knows you and loves you and cares for you and sees you. So let's not be so quick to pray away a season that God has gifted you with. I've been there. I remember praying, God, just get me out of here. Just give me, give me my wife and let me go. But he has given you a gift, a season that will not last forever. And by the way, have you ever thought about this question? Or sorry, this thought is that most likely those who get married will be single again, either through divorce or death. I watched my mom go through that for two years. She'd been married for 43 years, I believe, to my dad. And then all of a sudden she was single again at 64. And she had to wrestle with all this same stuff. And so understanding and learning how to walk in freedom and in biblical obedience in your singleness is a lifelong blessing. I'm a visual learner, and so you guys ever dumped a big sponge into a bucket and you pull out the sponge? What happens? Like it's so soaked with water, it just starts dripping everywhere, right? And you wash the car, and then you squeeze it out. Start asking God to help you squeeze out everything that he has for you in this season. Because this season will end, most likely for all of you. So right now, God wants to do things in and through you, in your life, in your singleness, because guys, you have resources right now that you will not have, namely, energy, time, and money. Unwrap the gifts God's given you in your singleness to serve and love people. You have more time right now than you will ever have in your entire life. Do it. Go on the trip with your friend. Go see God's creation. Spend hours in God's word studying and digging deep roots into your faith. Because there will be a day when you have children that it is impossible to read anything for 10 minutes. Come to my house. When I open my Bible in the morning, it's like a gong going off in my house and I have all the children come out. I'm like, oh, okay, awesome. There goes another one, okay. That happens, so squeeze out of this season everything that you can that God has for you now and say, God, help me to be content here. Help me squeeze it out, show me, lead me, guide me. I trust you. Max out this season, max it out. So here's where we've been. Singleness is a gift, as is marriage. You can trust God with your singleness, your dating life, and your marriage because he knows you, he loves you, he cares for you, and he's with you. And trusting God allows you to live free and full. What if you knew? He does. Trust him. 
So as I close, we always go into 120 seconds. I wanna give you three things to think about, pray about, take home with you. Number one, I want you to honestly answer these three questions that we posed tonight. Write them down, and I want you to spend some time asking yourself, do I see singleness as a gift or a curse? Can I or will I trust God with this season of singleness? And what if I knew, what would, I actually, what would my life look differently? I want you to actually spend some time tonight, tomorrow, whatever, digging into what is the actual answer to those questions, not the churchy answer, the real answer. Number two, once you've figured out those questions and you've answered them for yourselves, I wanna challenge you to find a trusted friend and ask them to pray for you. Tell them. You know those questions we talked about at the gathering? I see singleness as a curse. Would you pray that God would change my heart? That I would see it as the gift that he intended? James 5.16 tells us to confess to one another, pray for one another so we may be healed. Just confess. Confess the insecurity, confess the fear. Find a trusted friend. And if you don't have a trusted friend, our prayer team are trusted friends. Go talk to them, let them pray for you. And then thirdly, start to actively trust God. You're like, Andy, what's that? Well, that's a whole nother talk, so let me just say this. Start with your mornings. Actively trusting God with your morning. Get up a half an hour early, pray, read his scripture, and then pray what you read. Because here's the crazy thing. We want God, we wanna trust God with our singleness and our marriage. These big monumental decisions Yet we won't trust him with a half an hour to set aside and say, God, I'm busy, I, I, I wanna sleep in, but I'm gonna trust you just with this half an hour. Start there. If you wanna trust him with your marriage and your dating life and your singleness, start with your mornings. And just sit with him, let him minister to you and encourage you through his word so that you can live the rest of that day knowing and being reminded that he is good, he is not withholding, he cares for you and he loves you. Let me pray. God, thank you for this, this, this season, God, that you give us, whether it's a season of singleness or for those in the room who are married, God, thank you for the season of marriage. God, I can't think of a more sharpening season of my life than marriage, a more humbling season than my life in marriage. But God, I also thank you for my single times that set me up and taught me things that I needed to learn then. God, I pray for our people tonight, our young adults. God, I pray that you would show them the freedom that comes with trusting you. Not just for their eternity, not just for their, uh, their salvation, but for their situation. If we can trust you with that, we can trust you with this your son's name.